my definition of success has very little to do with a title or a job or a job description or a salary. And I think I've realized that success for me is not a destination. It's not an arrival point that I'm going to get to. It's a way by which I experience life that I will know I'm successful. Hi, everyone. This is Ashley Menzies Babatunde, and welcome to No Straight Path, the highs, the lows, and the lessons learned. We are back for part two with Michelle Odemage, CEO of the Achievement Network. And I just loved hearing about Michelle's journey to CEO and some of the pain points in between, learning about her childhood, her upbringing, her values. And as you can tell from the first episode, she's incredibly wise, dynamic, and hilarious, which we'll get more of in the second episode. So let's get to it. We are here for part two with Michelle Odemige. She is my big sibling, big sister, good friend, and CEO. So we are going to talk a little bit more about her journey. And so we basically were at the end of discussing just how you got to CEO, which is amazing. And now I just want to talk a little bit about lessons learned. And the first thing I would like to ask you is just, what have you learned about your experience in this position now leading an organization? What's the biggest lesson that you've learned? I think the biggest lesson I've learned is authenticity is priceless. And that when you, you can take an orientation that like, as you become a leader, you need to have more of a stiff upper lip. You need to have more walls, be more closed, like, you know, more, I don't know, like hidden. And I think it's the exact opposite. Like I lean deeply into being like very present, very engaged as much as possible and very authentic. If something's hard for me. People at my ward know doesn't need to be a secret. Right? I'm like, I'm really wrestling with this because every time I say that, or I've said like, I'm struggling, like I'm working on the strategy right now. And I, there's parts where I'm like, oh, this feels really confusing. We should do X or Y. And the emails, the G chats, the voice notes I get from team members that help untangle that really tricky knot are really helpful, right? And like inviting people to be a part of leadership. That's probably one of the biggest things and that you can only do that if you're authentic. And I think people do things like listening tours and then go do what they want to do. Or they do things where they're like, here's who I am, but they don't talk about the downsides of who they are. I just tried to to try to do that. And I think understanding that being a very authentic leader also means that I also have to be an adaptive one because I don't want to, I want to make sure I'm continually signaling to people, this is fully who I am. And to be successful here, you don't have to be me, right? Like sometimes you can have leaders who are fully themselves, but they kind of set the tone. And this is what I expect good looks like. I'm like, I'm fully myself and whoever you are, that works too. Like we're going to figure it out together and it's going to be messy. It's going to be hard. It's going to make, I'm going to make mistakes. You're going to make mistakes and that's okay. I think that's great. I, I really love that approach. It just sounds like such a supportive and inviting leader where you make everyone feel like it's more collaborative. And I also just love how the whole idea of leading with authenticity, I think is important. And I think it's a relatively new approach to leadership which I find very, very just encouraging and helpful and makes you want to do your job even better 
when you know that your yeah. leader is open to actually hearing what you have to say and opening yeah. to working with you and collaborating and that you're not just this like micromanaging, you don't have this micromanaging leader that wants something to be done a certain way that, that mm-hmm. stifles people. It yeah. doesn't lead to yeah. creativity and strategy and to growth. So that's such yeah. great, that's such a great lesson. And I think, you know, honestly, I think if I, I think it's one of the benefits of the fact that I didn't want to be a CEO, right? I liked being chief of staff because you know what chief of staff is? I know all the tea before anybody else. I am the word on the street going to pass by me, right? And so I'm a professional ear hustler. I know what's going on, what's really working, what teams are really are struggling, who don't like who. And I think I've actually decided to take what's good about that orientation, that depth of personal relationships, that like, let's talk about the work in a casual, low stakes way. It's not authoritarian and brought that identity to this versus I think if I want, if I'd always aspired to be a CEO, I probably would have showed up with like a lot of white male dominant norms and thought that that is the way to lead. And that is what good leadership and management looks like versus like be myself, start there, trust that and invite others to be themselves. Like, I think, I think I just, I landed at a different solution because of the journey I've been on than if I had kind of like known I want to move in this way up, up X ladder than I would have done and try to replicate behaviors of people who had moved up the ladder versus just taking my own journey step by step. And it's funny because until I applied for CEO, I never in my time at my job or my time as chief of staff ever asked for a promotion or bigger responsibility. I never once opened my mouth and said that that's what I wanted, but then it kind of always came to me. And I think that's what happens when you lead with authenticity doors open for you versus you feeling like you're banging on them. That's so great. And do you think that that's just connected when you lead with authenticity? Do you think it's connected to your passion for the work that you do? Is that why the doors are opening? Because this is just Mm -hmm. something you really care about. I think it's care is necessary. But it's not just care. I think I've learned to own what I'm good at and what I'm not. The perfectionist of my like youth wanted to figure out how to be good at everything. Guess what? You know what? My teacher didn't put my coloring on the wall because I'm not a good artist. Boo-boo. Even when I colored all day and night, I just didn't know the right color combos. I didn't bring out the zest that other people were doing. And that's okay. Right? But like once I like, I can care about the work I do, but if I'm trying to, obsess on other people's jobs or other people's brilliance versus harnessing my own. I think that's like part of it. Like I know I'm good with connecting with people. I know I'm really good at project planning. I know that I can sweat the details. I can bounce from being, I like to say I have an eagle type orientation. I can fly above something and zoom in when I need to and then pull back up. Those are the strengths I distinctly bring. Let me harness those. Let me leverage those. Let me be good at those. And, and be honest with myself, does my job need those? Sometimes people have great strengths and they get a job and then they want to change the job to those strengths. And I'm like, well, no, the, the, the strengths you have match the job you're going, you're going to take. So, yeah, I think those make it easier, though, like that balancing act makes it easier. No, that's a really great explanation. I would love to know more about how you define success. Like, what does success look like to you? To the outside world, to me, as your friend, you Mm -hmm. are a very successful woman, Black woman, Mm -hmm. and I want to know about your definition. Yeah, I think, to be very honest, in so many ways, from as I'm sure it is for many of us, the past two years have changed that for me. 
pretty radically. I lost my fake, but the closest thing I have to like a very real grandmother in the pandemic to COVID. And what was really hard about that was that I had been so work focused for as long as I could remember that anytime I would go home, I would not prioritize seeing her always. I would like be at home with my parents for two or three days and then go. Right. And I didn't really go and spend time. And she had made a comment about it one time, like, Michelle, you always so busy. Don't forget who I raised you. And in so many ways in my life, I had forgot. And you know what I mean? Been so focused, working, doing what I need to do, meeting the deliverables, being a top performer that I forgot what to show up and perform in my life, not just in my career, because my career isn't the entirety of my life, you know? So my definition of success has very little to do with a title or a job or a job description or a salary. And I think I've realized that success for me is not a destination. It's not an arrival point that I'm going to get to. It's a way by which I experience life that I will know I'm successful. So success for me right now, how I'm defining it, and it'll evolve and change as I get wiser, but it's like living a life of balance where I feel like I can be myself in every space that the Michelle at work and the Michelle with my friends and the Michelle at home with my dog are not like, don't feel like different people that I feel like I have an abundance of grace to give myself because I'm a recovering perfectionist, like that I may, I will make mistakes and get, I have an unlimited, unlimited amount of grace I can give myself and an unlimited amount of grace I can give others because they too are humans who are trying their best. And that like, I don't need to make every minute count, but I don't won't waste time on things that don't matter. You know what I mean? Like that's, I used to have like a make every minute count, but I'm like, it's not about maximizing every minute because that can make me like run in the wrong way. But it's making like, if I'm with a person whose energy don't match, I'm not wasting 10 minutes of my time with you. Like, let's just like, move on. You know what I mean? If I'm working on something that's like just not, giving me joy, then like, just, I don't need to do it. So I think that's to me, success is when I'm like figuring out how to keep that balance, that unlimited generosity, that like valuing of my own time and energy, being my full self. Like I'm experiencing that. If those things feel like in alignment, that's those, that's when I feel successful. So am I successful right now? I'm close. Some days I'm more successful than others, but it, it has, almost nothing to do with what my job says on LinkedIn. I love that. I need to find a new thing to say when I love something. Cause I feel like I say that so much. On you know, the show. I say the same thing. I'm like, Oh my God, I love that. But I mean it. I love it. And love is something that we can abundantly give to. We don't have to have like scarcity about everything. You know what I mean? That's so true. There's not unlimited love of things. You can love this. I can love this and that and that and some of this. That's all good. That's so funny. That's what our old classmate doc told me who's mm-hmm. way at an episode. Cause I said the same thing. I love that. I love it. Cause you know, you're just, you guys are just spewing so much wisdom and which mm-hmm. I'm so appreciative of. And I, that response and that definition of success is really wise. I think that I would love to know more about how you achieve that balance. Like what are you doing now that you perhaps weren't doing pre pandemic? Um, and, and after like this loss of your grandmother, who I know she, you, I think you would bake in honor of her, which I thought was a really beautiful mm-hmm. thing. Maybe you could talk a little bit about that. Cause you were, I thought that yeah. was just a, a great way to honor her. 
I think up until probably July of 2020, August, July, August 2020. No, even probably past that, probably through September or October 2020. I probably, it was not abnormal for me to work 50, 60 hours. It wasn't abnormal. If you were dating me or hanging out with me, it's not abnormal for me to bring a laptop. I'd go on girls trips. I'm, I'm always good for a vacay and my laptop's coming because I'm going to squeeze in a call. I'm going to work on something when I have downtime. And I think I had to unlearn a lot of those behaviors. And I had to reflect on how much like my obsession of getting things done and getting them done really well was like driving, was connected to like my self-worth, right? I I said a little bit um, before that I'm not a person who like, oh, if Ashley doesn't like me, then I don't like myself. Like, girl, bad. That's your, like, I don't care, right? Like, I'm pretty good about my self-worth is anchored in me, but I also can have it be anchored in what do I produce? What do I create? What do I deliver? And so I had to like really unpack where that came from. Because as I said in the first episode, it didn't come from my parents. My parents want me to be good, but not as much as I was doing it. And first I had to like reflect on that and unlearn those behaviors. And I'm trying to think about like, what did I do specifically? But I think when you lose somebody you love and you realize like you could have been around more and that they probably, or I've heard Andrew Garfield said, grief is love unexpressed. Like all that love you have for them unexpressed. And I realize I'm sitting on mountains of it. And why do I have it all unexpressed? Because I made choices to like finish an Excel or a financial model versus tell the person, hug the person, thank the person. It just radically shakes you. So I don't know what I did to unlearn. I just tell myself, stop, cut the shit. It was kind of like a cold turkey thing. And at first it was, I'm not going to work. I have a rule right now, no laptops on Saturdays and rarely on Sundays. It's got to be few and far between. And like, if I can't reply to it on my phone, then like uh, while I'm on vacation, then it's not getting a reply because I'm on vacation. You know, like I just decided, like, I cannot live like this anymore. I don't want any other person to leave my life and sit at the end saying all this love I have unexpressed for them because I was too busy worried about job, worried about people who ain't worried about delivering for people who don't deliver for me. So yeah, that was like, yeah, that was, that was kind of my journey. And then I think now I, I actually replace time in my evenings. Like what used to be me working to get that last email, that last thing done. I now have like self-care scheduled into my calendar. I hike every weekend with my dog. My cell signal is shit. And that's great. And I'm up in the mountains for two to three hours. And like, yeah, sometimes people join me and sometimes they don't matter. I'm going hiking. I like, it's so silly, but I like literally have put on my calendar going to a spa. Again, the spa I go to has no cell signal. I find like there's this article that's in the Atlantic recently that talked about how like the the toxicity of being so accessible and how much people want us to respond all the time. Ashley, you know this. I'm a pretty bad texter. You text me, I might reply. But like, I actually just decided, like, I cannot be accessible to everyone who needs something from me all the time because it actually is draining me. And I don't get to, I'm not getting to choose how I spend my time and letting other people choose it for me. And I just decided I'm not going to do that. So like, oops, sometimes I don't reply. Sometimes I miss an email. Sometimes something doesn't get a response right away. And I'm done a lot better of managing people's expectations. But I also know I have privilege in that 
professional privilege to tell people, I don't always get back to you in 24 hours, but I will read it. I, that's, I have privilege because of yeah. the seat of power and the, the nature of my career. But I think it's like finding where are the places you can find that flex and finding it, embracing it, living up to it. And I have found when I'm just like really candid with people, like it's really draining for me if I'm being expected to be on all the time. So can like, I want to be as on when I'm on and then find ways to like roll off. And people have been pretty receptive, right? And and I find changed, again, because of my power, I find that it's changed even some of my team members. I have one team member who's like, I'm taking a half day to go biking now. And I'm like, yes, do that. And I'm not going to bother you. That's I had so one great. team member I chatted. I said, oh, urgent. I have a thing. Are you offline? They're like, I am offline, but I'll get my laptop. I go, no, you're offline. I will figure it out myself. And then I blocked her. So she didn't reply. <laughs> she was like, did you, the next day she said, did you block me? I was like, I knew you were about to apply. I saw you typing, but I wanted you to know you're offline. Like there was a wall and like, how do we do that? So that's a journey. I know I'm not perfect at it, but I'm trying. I've had, a, I had a relapse, I would say, to working late in January. And then I named it for my whole team. I was like, guys, I'm not doing that again. So what do we all need to do so that we can reprioritize and some things off the plate so we can survive? I, again, I love that. And I think that the fact that you've been able to recognize this in your own journey and try to achieve more balance, that it really needs to come from the leadership. I think that boundaries are important and it's so great to set them and you need to, I've done that, but I've been advocating for policies at my firm and they've been really receptive for ways that it can come from leadership too. It's got to come from top mm-hmm. down, come from down to like, let's all meet together in the yeah. middle somewhere so that we, we can create better well-being and more balance in lifestyles. And yeah. when you're in challenging jobs like this that are high demand, mm-hmm. when you're a CEO of a company or as an attorney, mm-hmm. there are going to be times where you just have to put your head down and do certain work. Mm-hmm. And I get that. But how do we create time and space when things aren't so crazy so that everyone gets the rest that they need, the rejuvenation period that they need. Yeah. So they don't sit on these, this level. I think you said like these mountains of unexpressed love the, mm-hmm. that is certainly grief. And, yeah. and you know, exactly from my experience with my mother, yeah. like I am grateful that my mom was just so in my life that there's just no way <laughs> there's no unexpressed yeah. love. She was, you know, my mom <laughs> so extra. Yeah. So even if I was working crazy hours, she was literally yeah. She gonna, she gonna be present. Yes, she was very <laughs> present. So, but yeah, it made me think about things differently. So I, we, mm-hmm. you know, I appreciate you sharing that. And yeah. I do agree when you say like the leadership starts from top. I've learned sometimes I have nights where the stress of the job, something pops in my head, and I need to have an email out, and I just use delay send. Why do people need to know when I feel that anxiety and urgency? If I need to write it, write the freaking email. Hit delay sense so it hits them at a responsible hour. Because just because I'm awake bothered by something doesn't mean I need to now go wake up everybody else about it. And like, or I sometimes write in my emails to think about in February at the top. I need to say this because it's bothering me. We're going to get to it later, right? Like not today. I just need to put it out there. And it's like, it's amazing. My team struggles though. People, a lot of people don't, they're like, wait, what I need to do all. I'm like, no, no, no. Think about this. This is a March problem. This is not a today problem. <laughs> I keep saying this is a next year problem, next school year problem, not a today problem. And, and the more we can say that and practice because most of us don't, Americans don't have practice with that. We have been indoctrinated in our society, in American society specifically, that like rest is a reward for working hard. That like 
You retire at the end of the life. Vacation ha happens at the end of the school year or at the end of the fiscal year. That like bonuses, rewards, reward and rest are all things that happen at the end. To me, I actually just have realized that they are prerequisites for you being successful. Rest is a prerequisite for me to work hard. If I don't pre-schedule half days, quiet days, we have quiet days internally, which are no meetings. It's just you to work, you working by yourself. Do not put a meeting on the calendar. If we don't create time like that, we're not going to be as successful. And I think like the atrocity of this pandemic has like made very bright and crystal clear to me. So now every new hire who starts, I'd say that to them. You need to pre-think about how you're going to take a half day when you need it. And you don't need to go sometimes, especially for the moms, I tell them, you don't have to tell anybody. You don't, I'm not telling you to lie to your husband, but you don't need to tell them you're taking a half day. If it's, it's a day for you, like don't go fill it with something else, like fill it with like time and space for yourself. One more question, just because I think mm -hmm. part of your humanity is the work that you do outside of work. Mm -hmm. So we've been talking a little bit about it. And so I know that you hike. Could you tell us a mm -hmm. little bit more about any other hobbies or things that you do that just oh, fill yeah. your cup? Yeah, I forgot you asked me about this. I cook a lot. So I've, I've always loved cooking. I say I'm a great cook. I know a lot of people who are better cooks than me. But I think like it's a version of a love language for me is making a meal for somebody else. And it very much comes from Granny Mary because she cooked all the time. And I told this story of when I first, I knew I wanted to go to Stanford and there was a summer school program and I needed to pay for it. My parents said I had to pay for it myself. And she made these plates of meatloaf, collard greens, hot water, cornbread, and bunt cake that she sold at my mom's salon and gave me the money to go my first year, which was like, what a life-changing gift. But I just love cooking. And so I oftentimes, and you've been a guest at my house, I do like brunch at Michelle's. And I'm like, especially during the pandemic, we couldn't go to restaurants. I'll make breakfast. I'll make lunch. I'll make dinner. I love like, I love that. I don't know. So that's probably like my biggest hobby is cooking. Last year, I did a challenge of a hundred, try to make 100 brand new recipes, a hundred things I have never made before within last year. And you know what? I failed. I hit 99. And I knew when I was at 99, I saw that week that I needed to make one more dish and I just didn't have the energy. And I was like, whatever, like, you know, old Michelle would have like stayed up in the middle of the night on New Year's Eve to finish, to make sure I hit the goal. And I was like, don't matter. Right. I'm like the matter was to find joy in cooking and to push myself to do new experiments and new techniques. So that's probably like my, one of my main things. I travel a lot. I try to leave the country twice a year. I think sometimes you have to flee the country to find yourself, to free your mind. My family is a lot. My family, we're very close and I like it that way. So I spend a lot of time talking with my sisters and that's a place where I really want for them to never feel. I, I think the fear of unexpressed love for my siblings is high for me. And so I spend a lot of time with them. That's so great. Yes, I love catching your Instagram stories with your siblings traveling the world or just here in the States, but you guys are always yeah. doing fun things. So I yeah. love that you do that. And I actually did benefit from your recipe experiment. Yeah, uh, make you yeah, you made me sweet potato pancakes. Oh my gosh, those were good. They were I don't know really about you. Good. I thought they were good. No, yeah, we I had love them with like them. blueberries and mangoes or something is in yes. my mind. Yes. Yeah, those are good. Mm. So good. And then I you bring that recipe back. Candied bacon, I think. Ah, yes. Yeah, you really got that was cute. <laughs> I don't want to say the recipe signal my favoritism, but you really got some of those ones. I like would go through the recipes and say which ones are ones I want to do like again. And both the sweet potato pancakes and the candied bacon, I thought 
10 out of 10. Those were like delicious. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel special. It was very good. And yeah. yeah, So thank you. But yeah, thank you for sharing all of just everything about your journey. Really. Mm -hmm. I would just want to wrap this up by asking you if you just had any final thoughts that you wanted to share with everyone, anything that you would tell like the youth (laughs) or Mm -hmm. the millennials or the elders, but anything Mm -hmm. that we didn't chat about that you might want to discuss. Well, I feel like I've been learning a lot from Gen Z and how they've shown up and disrupted the workplace. And so I'm grateful for that. I think one part of success I didn't name that I think about a lot is one thing I've been focused on is how to be a good ancestor. So I've been thinking a lot about what do I want my children's children, children to know or say about me and how I lived? And how does that impact like the decisions and choices I make? And it's partly why I say things like do a career where you love the problem you're trying to solve, that you feel passionate about it. Cause I don't, I'm not going to be CEO forever. Right. I'm going to be at my own organization. I've already been there 10 years. I'm not going to be there for like 50, but I do. And I, I'm not committed to the place or the title, but I'm committed to the problem I want to solve in this world. And like, I want to put my energy and life behind contributing to that. For some people that's full-time, for some people, hobby, whatever. Find like, what do you want your footprint to be? And like, I want them to think back and say, oh, that woman in our heritage and our lineage, we learned that grace is unlimited. We learned to like work hard, but to love yourself. We learned, you know, like, like like these things that exuded out of me were contagious enough to catch fire. So yeah, that's the thing I've been thinking about. Like, what does it look like to be a good ancestor? What footprints, the the impact I want to have, which is also sometimes crazy. I don't have kids by the way, but I don't know. Just like, what do you, what do you want? What do you want? People say sometimes, History will judge these people. I hear that a lot right now. History is not going to judge them right. Well, one, I'm judging them now, so we don't have to wait for history. But also, what will history celebrate about me? Like, not what will it judge me for, but what will it be? Like, what will people be proud of? And I don't think it'll be, she was a young Black CEO. Like, who cares? It was that, like, she believed in herself or found moments to believe in herself, even when it was hard at first. You know what I mean? That's what I want them to say. And I am so sure that is what they'll say. And so thank you so much, Michelle, for sharing your story and your thoughts and your perspective. It's been so enlightening and Mm -hmm. not surprised, but I'm just really grateful that we had this conversation. So thank you for coming on No Straight Path. And thank you for creating the space. I love that you're creating space for people to talk about their journeys. So thank you, Ashley, because what you're doing is powerful. It really is. 